Thank you, Susie. It's so good to be with you this morning and just wrapping up this um, series we've got going on, um, on forgiveness. And I really love that we've been saying the Lord's Prayer together every week. Um, I just think it's a really, it gives continuity from the early church to today. It kind of connects us to Jesus and how he taught his disciples to pray. So I've really enjoyed that. But I have to tell you that this line, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us, reminds me of an incident from my childhood. And <laughs> I learned a pretty interesting lesson on trespassing that day. So I'll just tell you, we grew up across the street from this big stone house. It was old and it was kind of dilapidated. There was moss and vines growing all over it and a big big um, kind of wall around it that was crumbling. And there was a lot of urban legend around this. An older woman lived in there. She was a bit of a recluse. And the kids in our neighborhood were pretty convinced that it was haunted. So you would think that that might keep you away from the house, right? Kids would stay away. But the opposite was actually the case. It sort of draw, drew kids like moths to a light. And so one day, I was probably about four years old, and my older brother, Jeff, who was eight, and his best friend, Benji, decided that it would be a good idea for us all to sneak across the street and peer into this house and see if we could see what was happening. So... We went across the street, and they kind of hoisted me over this crumbling wall, and we went through these overgrown bushes. And I can remember that we were all, like, crouched in these bushes together, and there was an open screen door going into this woman's kitchen. So my brother and Benji got up the courage. They told me to stay where I was, and they ran across the grass. They peered into the windows. There was no sign of the woman. But what they did see was a plate of homemade cookies sitting just a few feet from the door. So you see where this is going, right? <laughs> so they ran back to the bushes, and they convinced me, a four-year-old, to go over there, go into her kitchen, and get three cookies and bring them back. So being the youngest of four siblings, you guys, I would do anything my siblings asked me to do if I could be part of their adventures. And so away I went. I ran across the lawn, and I kind of crouched down by the door, and then I got up the courage. I grabbed the handle, and there was this deafening creak. It felt like it to me. I took a step into the kitchen, and just as I was reaching for the cookies, I hear this very kind, well, hello there. And I looked out the door, my brother bolted with his Betty Benji, so I was left there standing there, and she said, would you like a cookie? And I sort of nodded, but in my head I was thinking, oh gosh, this is not good. So she grabbed my hand, and she walked me down the hill promptly with my cookie, told my mother everything we had done. She, she knew my brother was outside, she knew the whole deal. So needless to say, my brother and I got in huge trouble, and we also got a very, very memorable lesson on trespassing that day. So fast forward a couple of years, and I'm in Sunday school, and I'm learning the Lord's Prayer, and we come to this line, right? Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And my mind is blown because not only does Jesus know that I went into that lady's kitchen and got that cookie, but she was, he was telling everyone, not just me, to pray for us for going into that house that day. <laughs> So anyway, very memorable. I always think of that story. So I eventually realized that there are countless ways that we trespass against our neighbors. And in fact, in Jewish culture, the word that's used for trespasses is actually a figurative word that means sins. So Jesus was really saying, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. But have you ever noticed that in Scripture, there always seems to be a connection between God's forgiveness of us and our forgiveness of others. We've been kind of hearing about this all month. So here are just a few. Um, from Matthew, we see, for if, you forgive God, 
If you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. And then from Luke, judge not and you will not be judged. Condemn not and you will not be condemned. Forgive and you will be forgiven. And then from Ephesians, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as in God Christ forgave you. And finally from Colossians, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. So forgiving and being forgiven seem to belong together. Forgiving and being forgiven seem to belong together. So this morning we're going to look at the parable of the unmerciful servant and consider why that might be the case. So open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 18. We're going to look at verses 21 through 35, or you can follow along on the screen, and we'll be up there as well. So beginning in 21, then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? Now this was and still is a legitimate question, especially when you're feeling the burden of being repeatedly hurt by someone. But Peter knew that Jesus taught the necessity of forgiving others because a few chapters before we read that Jesus taught them how to pray and the Lord's Prayer, just like we prayed this morning. But he was actually being very generous here because traditional rabbinic teaching said that someone who was being offended needed to forgive a brother or sister only three times. On the fourth time, there was no more forgiveness. So Peter might have been trying to get some brownie points here by saying up to seven times. But Jesus, as is often the case, had something radically different in mind. Jesus answered in verse 22, I tell you not seven times, but 70 times seven. 70 times seven. Just to be clear, Jesus was not saying 490 is the magic number. That once you get there, no more forgiveness. No. What Jesus was saying is stop counting. Stop counting. It doesn't matter how many times your brother or sister sins against you. Just go on forgiving. There should be no limits to the amount of forgiveness we give. And that is the backdrop to which Jesus goes on to tell the parable of the unmerciful servant. So let's take a look. In verse 23, it starts with therefore. So therefore, since Jesus and has called his followers to unlimited forgiveness, therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. At this, the servant fell to his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. So a little background information is helpful here. The king's servants back in those days had a lot of responsibility. And this particular servant, it was likely that he was probably in charge of, of collecting revenue for the king. And as he did that, he would have been allowed to take extra revenue for himself. That would have been acceptable. And then he would eventually need to settle up with the king. But somehow this particular servant had gotten himself into enormous debt. So the word in the original language that's translated bags of gold here was actually talents. And one talent was the equivalent of about 20 years wages. 
So if you took the average wage today and tried to figure that out, I did it. <laughs> and if you calculate that, it would have been the equivalent of about $6 billion with a B. $6 billion. So this enormous sum of money would have been impossible to pay off in your lifetime. The servant was in a hopeless situation, and the master knew it. So what comes next is nothing short of amazing. The servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. So the master's generosity and forgiveness in this parable would have been heard as astonishing to Jesus' listeners. The master simply forgives $6 billion outright, no conditions. He just lets the servant off completely. So when something like that happens, you would expect for it to have a huge impact, right? You would think life just cannot go on as if nothing happened to this guy. Big changes would follow. It's like throwing a stone into the middle of a lake. You would expect a splash and just ripples emanating out from his life. But, let's keep reading. When the servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred silver coins. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me. His fellow servants fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me and I will pay you back. We've heard that before, haven't we? So the silver coins were a denarii, and a denarii was worth about a day's wages, so one day. So 100 denarii, that wasn't an insignificant amount. If we use that same calculation, it would have been about $11,000. So still a lot of money, but within the realm of being able to pay it off in somebody's lifetime. And it is a small fraction of what the first servant owed the king. So... Let's read on. But he refused, and instead he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay his debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged and went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had on you. So, interestingly, um, the servant was acting entirely within his rights when he tried to recover that debt. That was something that anybody in, in that time in the ancient world would do in that situation. He had the second servant thrown into debtor's prison until the debt could be paid off, and that is what people did. But what I found interesting was the servants were outraged. They were outraged. And I bet that they too were thinking that after being the recipient of such astounding generosity that there would have been a change in this guy's life, that there would have been ripples of grace and mercy and forgiveness. But the servant behaves as if nothing happened at all. He doesn't show the slightest bit of generosity toward that second servant. So the king rewrote the rules. He changed everything for that servant he no longer lived in a world where accounts needed to be settled with the master. And that $6 billion debt, which could never have been paid off in his lifetime, had been completely forgiven. Yet he refused to forgive his fellow servant. And as we read on, we're going to see what the tragic consequences are for refusing to forgive. So in anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured 
until he could pay back all that he owed. This is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. So it seems that by not forgiving, the servant is returned to that original system where grace is not extended and people get exactly what they deserve. Because he chose not to forgive his fellow indebted servant, that huge debt is still on the books and he's consigned with the impossible task of paying it off. So do you see what Jesus is doing here in this parable? He's painting the picture of where we all stand before God. Our trespasses, our debts, our sins are so great that we cannot possibly pay them off in this lifetime. Do you see yourself in that light? Let's think about this for a minute. The two commandments that Jesus says are the greatest. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind. And love your neighbor as yourself. Just think about those two. Can I ask you, how are you doing with that? Maybe you're like me, and every single day, in a million little ways, I break those commandments. I wake up in the morning and I place myself and my to-do list at the center of my personal universe, and sometimes I pack my days so full that there is no room for God to move in or through me. I frequently make choices with wrong motivations, trying to win the approval of people rather than following God in the way of Jesus. And let's be clear, I do not, or rarely anyway, love my neighbor as myself. And in fact, sometimes I find it hard to show patience and compassion and kindness to the people I do love. Sorry, guys. <laughs> so this list really could go on and on and on for me. Anyone else? Just me? <laughs> okay, good. So like the servant, it's not hard to see our need for God and for his forgiveness. But remarkably, what Jesus is saying in this parable is that God has forgiven us everything outright. We're the recipients of his grace and mercy and forgiveness. We're no longer under that account-keeping system of the law. We're actually under grace. Our debts have been paid on the cross of Christ. We have been forgiven and are free to go. So if that is the case, it ought to change our whole lives, you guys. It should cause an enormous splash and ripples that go on and on and on. Ripples of grace and forgiveness for the people who have wronged us. When we hold on to bitterness and even seek revenge, we live as though God has not forgiven us. As if he did not pay the ultimate price for our freedom. And if there are no ripples, it begs the question, have we really received God's forgiveness of us? The parable seems to imply that God first forgives us, and then our forgiveness of others should naturally flow from that. So refusing to forgive seems closely connected to refusing God's forgiveness of us. But this idea of unlimited forgiveness is countercultural, isn't it? The wisdom of the world would say, evil should be fought through justice and might. That we should keep a careful accounting of the people who have wronged us. 
that we should make sure that they get what they have coming to them. You hurt me, I'll hurt you right back, an eye for an eye. And let's be honest, sometimes that kind of thinking feels strangely satisfying, at least in the moment. But when we hold on to anger and bitterness, we often end up harming ourselves the most and the people who we love. So worldly wisdom does not actually combat evil. It feeds it. The anger, the bitterness, the resentment does not free us at all, as we've been hearing about all month. It just keeps us chained in a cycle of anger and bitterness and unforgiveness. And evil persists, and sin abounds, and brokenness prevails. But God's wisdom is entirely different. God's wisdom says this whole account-keeping business is bankrupt. God calls us to practice unlimited forgiveness, no matter how ludicrous that might seem to the people around us. By forgiving, we're saying, God, I trust you that your wisdom is better than mine, that your plan to restore and renew all things is better, that I don't need to seek justice, that you've got that covered. Ultimately, forgiveness is an act of offering grace and trusting God with the outcome. Okay, and what about that business of forgiving from the heart? What does that look like in our lives? It might look like doing the hard work that we've been talking about all month, the hard work of forgiveness. Gary, in the very first week, I don't know if you were here, but he preached on Desmond Tutu's The Book of Forgiveness. And he talked about this fourfold path to forgiveness. So great. It's naming the hurt and granting forgiveness and renewing or restoring the relationship. Actually, renewing or releasing the relationship. That's it. It's an important distinction. I read that book, and I just loved it. If you're struggling with any kind of forgiveness, I really highly recommend it. I was really touched by these stories of these courageous people who actually did this work in some mind-blowing ways. And one thing that I noticed with each one of them is they were able to access God's deep well of compassion by recognizing our shared humanity. So Susie talked a little bit about this last week. They're able to recognize that each one of us is a bundle of paradoxes. We're made in the image of God, and yet we're fallen, broken, and perfect people. We're generous, but then sometimes we're selfish. We're really thoughtful one day, and then the next day, we're just thoughtless. We're kind, but sometimes we're cruel. And if we look closely at the person who has hurt us and seek understanding, we often discover a painful story in their past that explains something of what led up to their harming us or causing harm. It doesn't justify what they've done. Don't, don't hear me wrong. I'm not saying that's justification, but it does give us some context, doesn't it? So Desmond Tutu reminds us in this book that no one is born a liar or a rapist or a terrorist. No one is born full of violence and hatred. So recognizing our shared humanity, but by the grace of God go I, that can help us to draw from God's deep well of compassion and forgive from the heart. 
So theologian Richard Rohr, he's one of my favorite authors, he said, if we do not transform our pain, we will most assuredly transmit it. It's so interesting, isn't it? If we do not transform our pain, we will most assuredly transmit it. So when someone wrongs us, we have a choice to make. We can transmit the pain and the frustration to the people around us, or we can choose forgiveness. You see, all pain has the potential to be redemptive and to become what Rohr calls a sacred wound. That's so cool, isn't it? A sacred wound. So perhaps we will know when we've forgiven from the heart when we stop transmitting the pain and our wounds are transformed and become sacred. When by the grace of God, we can actually wish the person who harmed us well. When we can feel a sense of peace and freedom, accepting our situation and letting go of the hope for a better past. That was something that both Susie and Gary talked about. So, as we practice forgiveness over time, we'll notice that what once may have caused alienation or a broken relationship can become an opportunity for restoration and deeper intimacy between me and the person that harmed me, but also between me and God. So this morning, I want to wrap up by inviting you to cultivate a life of forgiveness, almost as like a spiritual practice. So the way you maybe make quiet time a spiritual practice in your life or go on a retreat or whatever that would be, to really think about cultivating life, cultivating a life of forgiveness as a spiritual practice. We have many opportunities every single day to practice small acts of forgiveness. We can forgive the driver who cuts us off in traffic. Just acknowledging that little spark of irritation within us, but also realizing we do not know the story, do we? Perhaps he's got a brand new baby in the backseat who is just wailing and has him distracted. Or maybe she has been unemployed and she's late for an interview that will finally allow her to provide for her family. We don't know the story. So just thinking about those situations and giving people the benefit of the doubt as a starting place. We can do the same thing in our families with our spouses and our children and our parents and our in-laws. We can do it in our workplaces and in our, right here in our faith community. When we practice forgiveness, we become people who forgive. So as you bump up against feelings of being wronged this week, will you bring yourself back to God's astonishing grace and mercy for you? Will you recognize our shared humanity? That we're all image bearers. We're all image bearers. But we're also broken and imperfect people who make mistakes. And just remember that every person carries with them a story and a struggle. So if you can draw from God's deep well of compassion through the power of the Holy Spirit and choose forgiveness. And remember that forgiveness and being forgiven belong together. Let's pray together. Father, we ask for the grace to forgive from the heart today as we have been forgiven. We thank you that you are a God of second chances and that your mercies are new every morning. 
May we begin cultivating a life of forgiveness today, trusting you to restore and renew all things. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen.